Today's episode is brought to you by NoCD.com. Effective treatment, breaking the cycle of religious OCD. I got to tell you guys, before we start this episode, Josh, I know you're starting this episode. I'll make this quick. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got to tell you, I keep, I'm running into an issue and I know you guys will see the terrible irony in it and think it's delicious, but I keep running into like atheists on Instagram and threads and I'm having the same problem that I was as a Christian of like, I'll tell someone I'm atheist and then immediately I'm like, no, but not that kind of atheist. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. It's a real catch 22. I've put myself in. It really is. <laughs> Welcome to Ravel, a roundtable show about how faith gets complex with the vast amount of information at our fingertips. For some people, this complexity has caused the unraveling of their faith, and for other people, it's been liberating. Take us, for example. I'm Stephen. I'm Josh. And I'm Emily. We each grew up in different parts of the American Christian spectrum, and as some of our beliefs migrate, we still feel like our theology is in process. Theology always has fundamentally been, and will always be, an exploratory dialogue. That alone is proof that faith raveling doesn't have to be a crisis, even if it feels like it. We don't have all the answers, so we want to use this show to model what it can look like to genuinely sort through beliefs in real time. So share a drink with us as we pull on the thread of our own pressing questions. Thanks for listening. Greetings, my friends. Hello. Hello. Greetings. Hello. What are y'all drinking Seasons today? greetings. Raz Cran. Seasons greetings. Wait, Raz. Yeah, Raz Cranberry LaCroix. What I got? I forgot if it was, if it was Cran Raz or Raz Cran. Well, they changed. They Mandela affected us. That one was real time. Oh. Did they really? Yes. No. It used to be Cran Raspberry. Now, now it's, it's Raz Cranberry. They straight up did. That one's not even fake. That's awesome. I'm drinking a Coke, a Coca-Cola. Are you a diet or are you a, a real person? Regular, zero. Whoa, we're getting really technical. Uh, it is a regular. I oddly enough do prefer diet, but I like I like classic as well. I went to McDonald's the other day just for a Coke because I needed some extra caffeine. And the person in front of me I saw ordered a large diet Coke. And I was like, wow, what are the odds? Two large cokes in a row so i pulled up and i said uh i almost said i'll have what he's having That's <laughs> but funny. i said one large diet coke please and then i said wait i'm sorry i don't know why i said diet i don't want the diet coke i'm just reading what the last guy said <laughs> yeah i'm just reading the teleprompter anyway i'm not drinking coke today great oh. i'm drinking a rooibos tea from smith tea i'm drinking the red nectar blend shout out to mm. my south african friends if you're listening hello ethan Anyway, and then I'm also drinking Hi, Ethan. a, oh yeah, hello, Ethan. Uh, I'm also drinking a little like two ouncer of like that orange peach mango, a little bit of lemon juice and a little bit of salt. Well, oh. yeah, there you go. And then I'm also drinking, oh my Lord, a Ravel first, which to be honest, I'm surprised we haven't done this yet. I'm drinking a shot of gin. Ah, whoa. Right now. Beverage goblin. What are you getting us into? I feel like oh, oh, gin down. You only start an episode with a shot of alcohol. Chaser down. If you're like oh. 
We're going to find out, Stephen. What are we in for, Emily? You have no idea what's coming. I feel like we should have been warned to pregame as well. I you know? should have. I thought about it. it <laughs> but then you would you would expect. You would have this like idea of like what's it going to be. Anticipation. I don't know. Yeah. So Don't anticipate. Participate. But I can't if he doesn't tell me to bring a shot of alcohol. Well, you now can, you can participate. Now you with can your participate. Raz Cranberry. Okay. Right. We are talking about the Bible. <gasps> I want to talk about the Bible. Shocker. <laughs> I, but I've like been I've been I've been uh teasing this idea for a hot second. Like on a couple episodes, I've brought up that I think that we have a bias of the written word. Okay. Yeah. And I wanna like I wanna unravel that a little bit. All right. Because I think it's really interesting. So Maybe I should start with the question of, do you think we have a bias of the written word, Bible or not? Or if we do in some way, how does it manifest? Mm. Whether in you or in others. I just immediately think that it's functional. Okay. Because if it's written, you can revisit it. Yeah. In like a documentation kind of way. You can read it again. Um, I'm going to... So that repetition kind of breeds familiarity, breeds bias, right? But Emily... Well, I'm going to say I think we have a bias for our own Bible, meaning the Bible that we personally read because... Mm. you know, Do you know what I mean? So like... Like the NIV. Right. So like (laughs) like I'm teaching a Trinity class and I have to preface by saying, okay, I asked you guys to go to a scripture reference and... If you're going to read out loud, let me know which version you're reading from, because I always get people who will say, well, my Bible says this and my Bible says that. And I think we have a bias and we lean in more favorably towards our own personal Bibles. I hadn't thought about that, but I think that you're right. I think that's really interesting. Like we totally all have our own favorite translations for one mm-hmm. reason or another, good or not. I think that's re- I've, I honestly think that some of this derives from the invention of the printing press too yes like i i can think of other examples where i do think we have a textual bias like constitution of the united states everyone feels like they're a lawyer because they can read Mm. and i think with the bible it's very easy to feel like everyone can be a scholar which i think is hard to balance with everyone as a theologian Mm. which you do believe which i do believe but i think that it's but not everyone's a biblical scholar. Yes. And like, I, Emily, I think you're absolutely right that I think it comes down to like your personal bias of the Bible. Mm-hmm. And not just because I, I get the sense that like you very much still believe that everyone can interpret the Bible. Yes. Or, or read the Bible. Yes. Right. Absolutely. I think with that, it uh, gets a little complicated though, because I think on one hand, there's like explicit teachings about, the Bible holds the secrets to the universe, but then also the Bible mentions some things and then doesn't explain them, like very explicitly. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. for instance, a couple episodes back, ghosts. I wrote down that example to fit under this topic, like ghosts, zombies, resurrection. It mentions those things. It offers no explanation how those things happened, but it mentions them. Mm-hmm. And I think that also leads into a form of testimony bias i think that that happens written and not where like we have a tendency to trust people that say a certain thing happened if there's no other reason to not trust them Mm. 
And I think that's very human, but I feel like there's like, I think the, the reason why I like wrote all those down is because I feel like those all play into having a bias towards the written word. Because Stephen, I think you're absolutely right about documentation and that like it offers something for us to refer back to and it's seemingly unchanging. But then also, I think Emily's right that like we all have our own bias towards translations or like certain ways of saying things. Mm-hmm. Which is a little ironic, I feel like, because like, like that we would all be so solidly anchored to a text that we recognize can be changed and shaped inherently because of translation. Like mm-hmm. we all know that, regardless of whether or not we believe in inerrancy. My first thought when you said, right, it's written down and seemingly unchanging, even in a case where you're not dealing with translation or mistranslation thereof... I feel like I've, I read a different book every few years I pick up The Lord of the Rings and that was written in mm. English. Like that book encounters me differently, mm. you know? Mm. And like, sure, it's written and I've read those literal words before, but like this chapter hits different now that I've experienced, you know, X, Y, or Z. Mm-hmm. I think there really is something to just like the repetition of it all. Like I know how to read. I know if I want to read we were talking about love wins before the mics came on, right? Like if I want to read love wins by Rob Bell again, I can. And because I can read it repetitively, I think that engenders a sense of like familiarity with it. And then I start being like, well, Rob Bell, when he wrote, so I think he's right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Cause I've like repetitively read it. Then of course we do the same thing with the Bible. Oh Yeah. And that's where we get some distortions with, you know, I think about scripture that's so commonly quoted that it ends up being misquoted. Like, money is the root of all evil. Love of money is the root of all evil. Right. Yeah. Mm. You know? Yeah. And it just kind of makes me chuckle a bit that when we read something so much, we start to lose or maybe we become blinded to meaning. Or we only want to see one meaning and then we put blinders on and we don't want to see beyond mm, that. Yeah. Which is what I love about my job is because lectionary, you know, you go through a particular passage like every three or four years or whatever. And so you have to be creative with what you're going to preach about because you don't want to give the same sermon, but there's always something new to be found. So that's the beauty of it. So is it just a question of medium then? Because we have the thing that's written, but then if we're going to speak it into existence again out loud like in your sermon you want the sermon to be different Mm -hmm. but you're coming from the same place Mm -hmm. so it's the question of medium just like uh, we recognize that i don't want to reduce sermons to live performance but that live performance is different Uh, sure and each one is just a little different right you never see the same play twice well that's kind of tripping me out a little bit Yeah. Or like, I feel like I've heard of people like justifying the, like you never experience it the same way twice. Yeah. As proof that it must be true. But like, I actually Mm. think that's just how reading works and learning, especially when you're reading something complex Mm -hmm. that's going to be layered with meaning and like be angled towards like development. Like, of course you're going to read it differently. (laughs) Cause I'm a different, like, I also don't think that that quality makes it untrue either i just think that we're biased (laughs) to like oh keep continuing our view 
Well, there's something about like the dynamicness, right? Of, I mean, like we even say that, like I'm a different person when I read Lord of the Rings. So of course, different parts of it hit different. Like we recognize that humanity is dynamic, but then we're taught that God is unchanging and that the Bible is God's word. And we recognize that written word, like literally doesn't really change. So we pair that with a theology of God isn't changing, therefore, because the Bible isn't. Yes. And it's God's I word. I feel like that is part of it. Hmm. Like, it seems so solid because... Like, it has something to do with the nature of, like, what we're trying to peer through, right? Window looking, whatever that phrase is, as through a window dimly or something. Right. I don't like the idea of God not changing. Well, hello, open and relational Emily. Welcome to Process Theology. <laughs> Say more, please. I'm not teasing I, you. I, I'm, no, I think, <laughs> I think God does change or yeah. can change. Like, I can't define that. I think God is constant, and that's mm. not necessarily the same thing as unchanging. I honestly love that distinction. Mm. Please say more. So I think about air. Air is a constant, oh. and how we feel air changes, but it's always there. Or to go back to the, the river metaphor from last episode, like the river is constant, but it's never the same river either. Yeah. Wow. Living water, if you will. I've got a river of living water, a oh fountain that never will dry. dry. Who does that? Who is that? I know that Because we're stirring up deep, deep wells. We're stirring up deep, deep waters. We're going to dance. Jesus in culture? River. Dance. In it's got to be Bethel. River. Right? I think so. I think. I could be wrong. Deep cries out. Deep. Gosh, now you guys got me. <laughs> it's got to be Bethel. <laughs> right? It's a path that I cannot stop. Um, oh, but... man. Emily, that song took me back. I, like, <laughs> I forgot I knew that song. <laughs> You're welcome. That was my gift to you. Thank you. But all this to tie back to our topic, I think to answer your original question about do we have a bias towards written word, I think yes, we do. And I think it's this idea that if it's written down, then it has to be true. And if that's the case, then it can never be untrue and it cannot change. But Mm -hmm. we know that truth can change. Mm. Truth is constant and it can change. Yeah. This, what a gift you've given us with this constant change differentiation. I love this, Emily. Oh, thank you. This is so good. It's like a difference between like, well, hey, we shook on it, but did you sign the contract? Mm. I'm thinking about like, think about all the things that we were taught and have known to be true that have changed, like Pluto being a planet. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, it's a constant that Pluto exists, <laughs> but it changes on how we understand it to be. Or like, I actually think business is a really good example. Business of is the a great example. Bias, because like you document something, it's like, like even in the business world, people refer to it as Bible. Like yeah. people will refer to, refer to like written documentation as like absolute truth. But like also a smart person will like recognize where things need to change from the way things used to be. Yeah. And like you will have to literally rewrite 
the handbook or like the yeah. how to of like what you're the doing manual. and like mm-hmm. yeah procedures change and but you always need to create a paper trail right yes and i very i do very much think it's a western thing like like we're definitely not an oral culture and i do think that this is all a byproduct of us like all this view of the bible i think is a byproduct of us having that view about text in general mm-hmm. so my next question to you is do you think we can get past the bias in relation to the Bible? Whether we're talking about written bias, testimony bias, hmm. personal bias about translation, whatever. Do you think that we can reasonably get past that collection of textual bias to the Bible? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we as a whole, no. Mm. We as in an individual, the royal we, like a singular person, yes. Okay, wait, what do you mean by that? Well, I would have said the exact opposite. Yeah, I was going to (laughs) say. So now I want an explanation. (laughs) Well, wait, I want to hear Stephen's reasoning. I think an individual, man, I just feel like everyone should just go re-listen to the episode where I brought up exegesis versus eisegesis, because like on an individual level, I think we're always doing that. But if we want to have any kind of like faith in the collective knowledge, right, the scholars do their work. We hear about it on a podcast and we're like, oh, the way I was thinking about that wasn't quite right. Like that kind of breaks us out of that bias because we as a collective are doing the work, whereas individual, you always have a point of view. But there are multiple collectives doing the work and coming up with different answers. And that's why they do conferences and get real nerdy for like a week. But we're still having those. Uh huh. It's not like we just had one and it's done. Well, right. How many creeds do we need? We probably need more. We wrote one ourselves. Or none. <laughs> Some sure. people say that creeds are outdated. Um, well. But that's what I mean. Like, I think individually, like that would be the stepping stone for collectively that change to happen. But I don't think I don't think that will ever fully happen where every single Oh, Christian. Hmm. Because if that was like, if that was to be true, we wouldn't have all the debates and all the arguments that we're still having today. And we wouldn't see so many more splits occurring in denominations. And we wouldn't see so many rifts happening between progressive and conservative Christians. Individually, I think people can get over biases very easily Mm. with a lot of support, a lot of self work. But I think collectively, it's, impossible because we will never fully agree on one single thing because again if we did we would all be reading the same version of the bible and i guarantee you many people in my church do not read the same version that i do they prefer king james they prefer new english translation they prefer living word you know there's oh, i different... like the new english translation that's a good one i also like the new english translation my favorite <laughs> is new revised standard edition so oh, that's a popular one, yeah. I was scared yeah. you were going to say amplified. That's the no, worst no, one. No, no, yeah, no. Amplified, amplified is the worst, just the least favorite, <laughs> most obtuse. Yeah, he's doing it. Most. He's doing it. <laughs> I can't think of more words. <laughs> You're running out of words. Least readable translation. <laughs> word parentheses six other words that could have been this word. <laughs> right. Moving right. on. So does that? Do I make my point? clear what do you think josh 
I think that we can't. I think I agree with Emily, actually. Oh, now that shit. she like explained herself a yes! bit. Yes, yes. I think that I can get on board with. I think that we can reasonably get past, or at least, at the very least, be aware of our textual biases when it comes mm-hmm. to the Bible. Like, honestly, I think that you can have the like spiritual belief that the Bible is the like faith truth of the universe. And also acknowledge that it doesn't explain things in a literal way and that you can, that you, that you know that you will like come to different understandings of the text throughout your life and based on new information. Like, I I think that like you can identify the Bible as a static, well, well, as a more or less stable collection that reasonably doesn't change much over time with the exception of interpretation and i think that you can have a healthy view of interpretation and updating your ideas about the bible personally i don't know exactly how that translates though into faith practice like i feel like that's kind of where i'm left with like and then what like not just because i think that you have to believe in inerrancy to be a christian i don't think that but like i think i just don't I was never given a good picture of like, okay, if you do believe the Bible literarily, like you, you view it as literature to be interpreted, you like take into account cultural context, you know that your understanding is going to change over time, both as you personally and as us collectively. So like, what does that mean for your faith practice? I am not completely, I don't know. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know if that actually has that many tangible outcomes because of that. OCD is more than what you see on TV and in the movies. Imagine being worried about committing a sin in your head all day, no matter how hard you try to make it go away. That is religious OCD. It comes with unrelenting intrusive images, thoughts, and urges about breaking a religious rule or offending God. No CD offers effective, affordable, and convenient exposure response prevention therapy. ERP therapy, which is a type of CBT, is considered the gold standard treatment for OCD. With NoCD, you can do virtual, live, face-to-face video sessions with one of their licensed, specialty-trained therapists, and they accept most major insurance plans. As someone currently seeing a therapist having conversations about scrupulosity or religious OCD, I can say personally how helpful this treatment has been for gaining new perspective. Breaking the OCD cycle takes effective, evidence-based treatment. To find out more about NoCD, visit nocd.com to book a free 15-minute call. We just want to say how honored we are that you listen to Ravel. Seriously, there's a lot of great shows out there, and we're grateful to be in your feed. Thank you for helping us on our journey to normalize people asking questions about theology. If you want to support what we're doing, the best way to help is to tell a friend about us. We want to be a resource for people on their faith journeys, whether they're deconstructing, reconstructing, switching churches, deconverting, and everything in between. And if you're able, you can support us for as little as $3 a month on our Patreon. Supporting us helps us cover fees, software, equipment, future ideas, and more. For all of you church finance skeptics out there like me, don't worry, we're keeping an open book for transparency. For our supporters, we've built an online space where we can be together. We know it can be difficult to ask questions about our faith, 
So we want to make that more accessible, comfortable, and normal. We're using an app called Discord, where you'll get private access. You already know us, and we'd love to get to know you. Thank you to everyone who's already supporting, and thank you to Louis Zong for the use of our theme music in full color. So Stephen, you disagree. You don't think we can get past our written word bias for the Bible. Is that what you're saying? What do we mean by get past? Okay, fair question. What does it look like to not have bias then? Mm. If we're talking about objectivity, I call foul. I just don't think we ever get there Mm. as an individual or even collectively. But I think we get closer when we are doing the work collectively to see other vantage points and other points of view on an individual basis. I feel like we always have bias. And the question is what horse do we hitch it to? Mm. Cause I I've, I've felt that personally, I've felt so many bias shifts mm. in my encounter of the Bible since I've been six years old to my current age of almost 29. Like I have, I have had the bias that it wasn't errant. And then I didn't, I have had the bias that it said anything other than one man, one woman being married was sin. And now I don't have that. But those same people who would say that say, I now have a bias the other way because I, I just don't, I really don't think, I don't know. Again, I don't want to rehash too much of the eisegesis episode, but it's just, I don't, I don't know if we get beyond that. Like, even if we want to use a spatial metaphor of like, if I want to get a better vantage point, it takes thousands of people to help me build a space shuttle to get higher in the atmosphere to see more of the earth i couldn't do that on my own and as long as i'm stuck on the ground i will have a vantage point that will be bias and i don't think that's bad i think that we just need to call it what it is i think we can i mean you know yeah i i think i agree with you that like we're never going to be rid of bias but like is it possible do you think to read the bible not just not literally as in like you think all of the things literally happened in english the exact way they've been translated but do you think it's possible to read the bible in a way that is more or less without the bias that it's more true because it's written down versus the other question that this has led me to is what would it mean to be instead of a a reading faith what would it mean to be a storytelling faith? And what implications mm. would that have for doubt and unraveling and quote unquote walking away, whether that's from church or from the entire faith? Like, does that change anything by not being textually based? I do think that's what someone like Wesley is getting at when he's trying to incorporate tradition and experience mm. in the picture. Totally. That's a good point, actually. Yeah. Because tradition gives us the storytelling of 2000 years of people trying to figure it out right but it's still at least in my my corner of christianity most recently it's still like those are useful to help inform what we think of the bible but the bible is still central the scripture is still central i don't think Emily, what's your read on that i want i want a quick take on the wesley connection because i think that's interesting and i want to hear what gotta the use wesley the quad thinks. gotta use the quad gotta use the quad God use the quad, which it's not Wesley's; it's Albert Outler. Yeah. But, well, then why do we call it the Wesleyan quadrilateral? See that episode, because, the Wesleyan quadrilateral. Because yeah, Wesley right. was a colonizer right. of theology. 
basically that's what it comes down to um i'm scratching my head because you know me in words words matter and i looked up the word bias and as a noun it's prejudice in favor of or against one thing person or group compared with another usually in a way considered to be unfair Mm. so when i think about like reading the bible with bias i'm thinking how do we read it in a way that's unfair right and i think steven is right in the regards that we always will have a bias but it made me also think of the verb of bias so it's a cause to feel or show inclination or prejudice for or against someone or something and i think even looking at the quadrilateral like we're going to base everything on my experience my reasoning my tradition my how i read scripture right it's we never approach it as a universal or collective approach it's always going to be an individual thing and i don't know maybe we need to like welcome and broaden the horizon a bit to say maybe not always having it be eye focused but having it be all focused and seeing how that changes things <laughs> but i think with storytelling also Maybe that would enhance, like, if you think about how the Bible came to be in the first place, it was oral tradition and oral stories mm-hmm. being written down. So what if we got back to so our do roots? you agree with Stephen that, like, Wesley is trying to get, like, whether he's getting back to that or he's trying to push that forward, like, do you think that tradition is trying to, like, subvert that textual nature as the emphasis only? Well, scripture would be the emphasis. Right. Like, you think yeah. Wesley still sees scripture as the emphasis? Absolutely, yeah. Wesley mm. definitely mm. saw scripture at the top of the pyramid, and then tradition, reason, experience were at the base. Mm. To bring us back to a couple episodes ago, does Christianity risk losing its exclusive superiority complex if it does adopt more storytelling and becomes less textually emphasized? Because, like, we have the we have a term called Bible thumpers. <laughs> yeah. And these are the guys who say, well, it's written. What do you not get? Are you dumb? <laughs> you can read it for yourself. It clearly says, and those of us who know, it's like, the Bible ba- barely says anything clearly. There's always more to the story, right? But we have the Bible thumpers stereotype. I think because of this textual bias, again, it's something we can repetitively revisit, reinforce what we believe, what we brought to it that we already believed and found confirmation in it. Because confirmation bias is a hell of a drug in and of itself. But if we move away from that and like, Josh, are you asking storytelling? Does that look like purely oral tradition from Mm -hmm. now on? I mean... I don't think necessarily. So my, my, my American bias, my American bias says I do think necessarily because, I mean, it's the same thing. What do you mean you took the Constitution away? It was written mm-hmm. down. You feel otherwise? Yeah, like I think with the America example, like the Constitution also doesn't stand in a vacuum. And I think sometimes we treat the Bible like it stands in a vacuum, like without its context. And I think America has done its fair share of propagating the beginnings of America and therefore what informed the Constitution. 
Hmm. Like whether that's Second Amendment or uh, religious freedom or Puritan ideals and capitalism. Like there's totally, even though we're not like completely state controlled, there's totally a state narrative that a benefits the government and benefits a certain reading of the Constitution. Yeah, and I think actually the Constitution takes more storytelling into the picture without just being a textual bias. Mm. Like very few people are reading. Well, well, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I take that back. (laughs) So I guess I, I think like going back to the like Bible Christian example, I think what I'm trying to get at is like, would having a storytelling faith change the way you read the Bible from not trying to read the Bible plainly and then making all of these mistakes along the way. For example, and I'm not saying this is the best example, but this is an example. The Bible Project, so they're hinging on the idea that the whole Bible, the Hebrew Bible included, is a story arc leading to the personhood of Jesus, which is obviously a Christian interpretation. But like they're using the story arc of that to tell the story of the Bible and like what its stories are contributing to. And I think that I have seen versions of Christianity that are more focused on the story of Jesus, for instance, than reading the Bible literally. Like more focused on like these are the values that Jesus is teaching and therefore this is what Jesus is calling us to do as Christians and also as like modern day people and trying it's more of like a connecting the dots than it is necessarily everything in the Bible must have been true, period. Like everything in there. So I think that it is possible to have a, more of a storytelling angle to faith, but I also think that that gets used against both Christians and, oh, I think the like, it's just a story argument gets used both by atheists and by Christians. That like, I think Christians, a lot of like literal Christians will say, like, well, you can't say it's just a story because that means it didn't happen. And atheists, a lot of atheists tend to agree with that, actually. <laughs> so they say, well, it's just a story. So, like, therefore, mm. it didn't happen. Whereas, what, what does Richard Rohr say? Myth is sometimes happened, always true. Mm-hmm. That's such a funny way to say that. I'm not surprised he says that. <laughs> it's pretty yeah. good. I like it, yeah. though. And, like, because so much of the world latches onto the story. That's why it's in our ethos. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure. So like in thinking of all of that, I don't really, I'm not totally sure what implications that has for people who are like, they feel like their faith is unraveling or maybe they've walked away from church or maybe they're like you, Stephen, that has like found identity in atheism. I don't really know if that changes things or not. For people like me and you, mm. mm-hmm. I think that it, it is a healthier, I, from my perspective, I think it's a healthier version of approaching the text that is trying to get past a textual bias and it's trying to look at things broadly, bird's eye, whatever you want to call it, like looking at themes and the trajectory of faith. I think that's really healthy, but I don't know if that has any also healthy implications and ramifications for people like me and Steven. Other than there's more work to do, probably. Right. Yeah. 
How does that make you feel? Nice. Yeah, let let that psych human services background shine through, Emily. <laughs> um, I I th- and, and our last episode shout out. I think it makes me feel. It makes me f- still feel discontent with the mm. it's just a story argument. Yeah. Because of how not just deeply ingrained it is in me, but I think how deeply ingrained the story is in certainly Western society, but also almost all the world. <laughs> like, yeah. And like, I don't, I don't think that that kind of like domination makes it true necessarily mm-hmm. value judgment wise. But like, mm. I, I don't think that like I brought this up on, I think it might've been the Ice of Jesus episode that like, I think we forget that Christianity is inherently a story, but I also don't think that that invalidates it. Like as a, as a story, like as an important piece of humanity. Yeah. So mm, here's a question, maybe a left field question. I'm so ready. We often, Christians often talk about how, well, if we want to know what's important, we should look to Jesus, right? Like, what was Jesus doing? What did he do? A, he talked in stories so many of the times. Mm-hmm. What? Weird way of saying that. <laughs> he talked in stories so much of the time. And also, as far as we can tell, dude didn't write a freaking thing down. Yeah. Why didn't Jesus write anything down? Wouldn't this have been so much more simple? Just because it's simple doesn't mean it's right. <laughs> Why didn't Jesus write anything down? <laughs> what if he did and we lost it? Uh, I guess, man. But I mean, the way we like get after like the Shroud of Turin and the Holy Grail, it's like you think someone would have thought like, oh, we should keep that scroll that he wrote, you know? Well, and maybe that's part of the bias of like written things in antiquity mm-hmm. is like that's often the closest we can come to like proof positive that something happened. Yeah. Is somebody wrote something down. Someone had the forethought to record something. Yeah. And that's as close as we can get. And like, I'll, I'll side with the Christians on this one. I think it's a matter of faith. You just have to decide whether or not you believe it. Because there's a, there's, there's a thing about like, man, I'm still tripping on that. Why didn't Jesus write anything down? We have an energy in our society of like, no one wants to admit it, but some of us journal thinking that people are going to read it for a hundred years from now. Like there, there is kind of just this energy of like, I have to leave something and whether the, you know, again, maybe this is an American thing because we see uh, historical scholars just absolutely scour copies of letters that Jefferson wrote to Adams for years, mm. you know, and all those it's like, Oh, so we see all this must mean it's important. So maybe that's where it's coming from. But I'm still struck with like, did Jesus just not think it was important to be written down? And if so, what was he on about? And if so, what does that mean for having a storytelling faith? Because I actually think that's Mm -hmm. a really good point that Jesus primarily taught in stories. And so if you're going to like follow Jesus as a person and a teacher, then like, shouldn't your teaching and meditation also revolve around stories and the importance of stories? Mm hmm. And it's always new stories. Like you get the sense when he tells a parable, it's things that are just like 
freaking everyone's bean because they're like, what is he talking about? Sorry, we've <laughs> never heard it like that before. Or yeah, or it's a new take on an old story. He's like improving yeah. new characters almost every time. Right? Curious. Yeah. And he also uses a phrase of like the kingdom of heaven is like. He's not saying the kingdom of heaven is. It's always like something. I don't know. That seems important as well. Because I like if he was writing things down, and again, maybe it would be simpler. He's just like the kingdom of heaven is X, Y, and Z. And that's just a way that we're accustomed to reading writing, right? But he already makes it that much more squishy when he's saying like, no, it's like this. So Stephen, does that mean that you think that Christianity is better and or more important when it has that storytelling view of faith? Because you seem to like that idea, right? Yeah. Yeah, I do like that. And I think kind of a thought from last episode is like, I think that gets to the, like the dynamic nature of us as Mm. human beings in time, space and story. Yeah. In some ways. And I think this is like a weird motivation, but in some ways I feel what you were saying about like documentation in regards to doing this podcast. Like when we started, we had no idea how many people would listen to us. And I think in a lot of ways we still don't know. Like I've totally thought about like, wow, what if this podcast is like studied by internet anthropologists? Because that's going to be a thing someday. Or like, what if at some point we have like internet anthropologist theologians? Mm -hmm. Like, not that I feel that self-important. I don't think I do. But like, I do think it's interesting when people document things. And like, I think in some ways, because we've documented our conversations, we're documenting a part of ourselves and our journey. And so I've totally thought about that for this but also the fact that we're like not writing it down and i think a lot of our approach is very i think like discussion is inherently storytelling and i think it feels a lot more dynamic than just like writing a book and also i think that we like fetishize writing a book in our culture oddly enough like not that i don't think it's important but like i think we like uphold that as like an ultimate accomplishment that you could accomplish as an individual human. Mm-hmm. Um, That's because you're imprinting on history. Yeah. But like also this is imprinting on history through a different medium that like wasn't imagined until a uh, hundred years ago. <laughs> Roughly, right? Mm. Yeah. I don't know. It, it's, it's thought provoking and I'm not convinced I'm going to stop thinking about it anytime soon. So uh, we should probably end the episode, I suppose. <laughs> Um, if you want to listen to any of the episodes that we referenced, those will be linked in the show notes because we referenced quite a few during this one. Yeah, we did. Um, Emily, how do you want to end the story of this episode? Dot the E, dot the I's and cross the T's. Dot the E's. <laughs> dot the E, shut up. <laughs> Once upon a time, there was a boy named Josh, a boy named Steven, and a girl named Emily, and they embarked on a wonderful adventure of deconstructing and dissecting and tearing apart Christianity, faith, belief as they know it. And the journey is not yet over. There is no end to this story. And in fact, we are inviting you to join us on this epic quest. Will you join us? The story is to be continued.
Josh, I was thinking I find it so funny. This like I feel like this is right in line with your sense of humor of uh I love the idea of yeah, we if I don't have a reason to not believe you at your word, then I won't, right? For all you know, <laughs> I could have recorded this entire episode just completely naked. <laughs> <laughs> And I love that you will never, you will never truly know. That's so funny. That's so funny. But you have no reason to believe I did do that. No, other than what you tell me. But now that I've planted that seed of doubt. Classic. It's like the time I tried to pull garlic milk on you guys. <laughs>